Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Max Verstappen took a sprint and Grand Prix double in the United States Grand Prix, while Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc were disqualified for plank infringements. So how did two teams get that so wrong, and might Mercedes have lost a victory rather than a second place if it had played its strategy cards right? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and many more are Mark Hughes and Josh Sutil. Well, Josh, welcome. We'll come to you first, because you're playing the Scott Mitchell-Malm role this week, so do you feel up to the task? Absolutely. I, I know there's usually a discussion about who's the number one driver, number two driver, contracts and all that, but uh, I'm generally just happy to be here, apolitical, just uh, <laughs> ready to crack on with the job. Excellent. You're sort of the happy pay driver, something like that. Gladly. <laughs> Don't quite have the bank balance, unfortunately. Or maybe you do. Maybe you're an eccentric billionaire if you are. Good luck to you. Uh, Mark Hughes, unlike last year, I've not driven you the wrong way up any runway streets prior to this podcast, so we're ahead of where we were this time last year. So, must put you in a good place for this podcast. Yes, I took the precaution of getting my own car this year. So, um, yeah, I drive the correct way up the streets, and that, that's always good, I feel. Um, yeah, you, you, I seem to remember that that no-entry sign that you said it, it not been there the day before was very rusty. So, yeah, I suggest it probably was there the day before. Yeah, well, I initially thought, I'm sure that wasn't there. Then I realised that was a bit implausible. So uh, I, I, I came round, but, it, but the, the road led where I wanted to go. So uh, there we go. I've been careful this time. I didn't even do it in the fog this morning. It's very foggy on the way into the track early doors today. But anyway, enough of the weather and one-way streets. Inevitably, there's plenty to talk about in this one, Mark. So let's get on to the obvious story, because it was a couple of hours after the race that we started to hear whispers of technical infringements. Ultimately, Lewis Hamilton was disqualified from second place and Charles Leclerc from sixth. It's all about plank wear, so please explain why were they chucked out while others avoided hitting trouble? Yeah, one-way street to disqualification, as it turned out, wasn't it? Um, yeah, the, obviously, the, this is a, a very, very bumpy circuit, it's to do with the ground on which it's built. It's 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 got a particularly uh, it's high level of plasticity, which means that it's it's a, it's a clay which um, contracts a lot when it's hot and expands a lot when it gets wet. And here you've got extremes of heat and uh, lots of rain through, spread through that through the year. So the ground is constantly moving. So the track the the bumps pop up all over the place at different parts of the track each year, and and it's generally even worse than last year. Uh, I say worse. It's, it's more bumpy, but a lot of the drivers are saying they actually they actually like that aspect of of it from a driving point of view. But um, in terms of the setup of the car, you do have to uh, increase the ride height, which does lose you a bit of downforce. Um, but obviously, there's always temptation to not raise it quite as much, uh, not raise it too much. Uh, you'd be very aware of not raising it more than uh, than you need to because there's a competitive advantage to be had there um and yeah it, it together with the sprint format when you've only got a limited amount of running before you're in the park firmer conditions it caught two 
two teams out. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's led to um, Lewis Hamilton being thrown out of second and Charles Leclerc being thrown out of sixth. Yeah, and it's not something you do deliberately for performance gain because it's pretty much zero tolerance in terms of doing this because you are responsible, as the stewards verdict said, the teams are responsible for running it. So any excuses about bumps, about limited practice time, etc., etc., don't apply. And we had a case earlier this year when Alpine introduced an upgrade in Baku, which is also a sprint weekend, had a disastrous FP1, qualified and then realised that they were in trouble on Plankware. So they broke part from a started both races from the pit lane. That's just your responsibility. You have to take that. But yeah, quite unfortunate and quite big consequences for them. That, of course, promoted Carlos Sainz to third place and Lando Norris back up to uh, second place, which he uh, did run for some of the race. So it's one of those technical ones, isn't it, Mark, that it, it's it's quite a big deal that cars are excluded, but there's not actually that much to get, get into on it because it's just it's just an absolute, isn't it? It's, yes, it's, it's in or it's out, and, and, and they were out. So, yeah, you, 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 they, there's a 10% tolerance, i.e. you can wear up to 10% of the plank away um, at the points at which it's measured, the, the, those points are defined in the, in the regulations, and there's 10% tolerance, and if you're beyond that 10%, um, that's it, you're out. Yeah, and 1994 Belgian Grand Prix, Michael Schumacher's Benetton, probably the most famous victim, well, certainly the most famous victim of, of this particular uh, offence. And yeah, as soon as it was referred to the stewards, it was pretty much going to be game over because there's just no excuse, really. I guess there's maybe some argument you could come up with, but yeah, I, I certainly wasn't expecting anything to happen. So obviously Max Verstappen still first, Lando Norris second, Carlos Sainz third, Checo Perez moves up to fourth place, and George Russell up to fifth place. I'm just trying to uh, correct the, uh, the the list of results I've got there, and a few significant changes lower down the order as well in the uh, battle for seventh and the constructors that we'll come to later. But Josh, let's get on now to what was the big talking point of the race before those exclusions, which is whether Mercedes threw away a potential victory with its strategy. Before we get Mark to dissect it in fine detail, what was your impression of this? Were you surprised to see Max Verstappen being so direct about how big a threat Mercedes should have been after the race? Yeah, so I wasn't surprised to see Max Verstappen commenting on it. I mean, sometimes, you know, the drivers love to to talk about some of the other teams. I mean, we even had Lando Norris commenting on how the he was surprised that the Aston Martin has, has only kind of gone backwards this year and has only got slow of every upgrade. So it's nothing too out of the ordinary. But yeah, it, you know, Hamilton as well thought that um, they probably had, you know, lost the race there or at least lost a, a very good chance to fight with Verstappen. Christine Horner thought the same. Toto Wolf wasn't quite on that same bit. He was a bit more kind of 50-50 or kind of it's easy to say with hindsight. But certainly, you know, watching the race, I definitely felt like They'd missed an opportunity there. It felt like they were caught between two different strategies. It felt like they'd gone into that race thinking, okay, we can probably get away with a one stop. But then, you know, they just got kind of surprised and caught out by that kind of extreme drop off. I was watching the timing screen around the the time of that crucial part and, and Hamilton's lap time drop off was, was quite substantial, really. It clearly caught him out. He obviously made that mistake as well. And a couple of others um, running wide, obviously the tyres were just really giving in. So then the team kind of panicked and kind of thought, well, now we need to go to a two stop. But it was kind of the worst time to really convert. And they hadn't really ran the race up to that point with that in mind so yeah it it was a pretty bad compromise you you could understand why it happened and you could understand that they were a bit caught out 
Um, but really, it, it felt like a big missed opportunity. It really felt felt like they fumbled what was a really good chance to challenge Verstappen, especially on a day when he was having all these braking problems. <laughs> you don't get many chances to beat him this year. And, and unfortunately, it definitely felt like um, Mercedes missed one today. So it would have made the exclusion story even bigger if it had been a P1 rather than a P2, the Hamilton Mercedes loss. But Mark, as promised, we're now going to let you loose on the detail. You've gone through the data, spoken to the key players. So was there a way for Mercedes to win this one on the road? Possibly. Um, they, as Josh outlined very well there, they, the, the, the sudden drop-off is what caught them out. They, they were, in that, in that first stint, when Lewis was running or around four seconds ahead of Max, as they came up to the, the, the window for the p- first pit stops, their assumption was that Max had a lot of pace in hand and was just running the race in a conservative way because he had lots of places to make up whilst trying to keep the tyres in one piece. So they were figuring that if even, even though they had four seconds on him at that moment, it was very early in the race, they figured that on the same strategy he was going to beat them. Um, therefore, could they look at the feasibility of, of one stopping? And when they looked at the numbers, they thought, mm, yeah, it, 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 it's possible that you, you know, he might not make that time back up of the extra pit stop. And so they'd asked Lewis at lap 18, do you think you can get another five laps out of these tyres? And he said, mm, maybe it's not, you know, it wasn't clear, but he said maybe. And that was enough encouragement that they needed. And they thought, right, let's go for that, rather than just accept that we're going to be beat. Now, at that point, they hadn't realised that Verstappen had these braking problems. He did have them by that point. He got them quite early in the race, but it, it hadn't been broadcast. So uh, at that point, they were just assuming that that was a, a very... You know, conservative pace. He was he was running strategically, not realizing he had a problem. Um, and had the tires not dropped off spectacularly on lap twenty, um, that, that that was feasible. Uh, I suspect had had they been able to get the tires to to last, they they were trying to get to lap twenty three. Had they been able to get the tires to go that long without uh, the, the the sudden drop off. Um, I suspect Max would have still been able to um, come back at him at the end of the race with a big tyre offset, with a, you know, on a much faster set of tyres. Um, had they just covered Max when Max pitted, um, yes, they would have retained track position for a, a long time, um, given that they had four seconds on him, probably that would have been down to more like two seconds as he came out. Um, but given that they were having to, Max was having to run quite conservatively, yeah, I mean, it was possible to win. It's not certain, but yeah, they, I think that there was a, a real, in hindsight, a real possibility that they could have won it. It's one of those ones as well where, regardless of whether they could have won it, they could have given themselves a better shot. I think that's the, the yeah. thing you can be absolutely uh, definitive on. So yeah, that they had the second quickest car, and as you said, Verstappen was in trouble, and Verstappen actually drove very well with those braking problems. Yeah, that was definitely a factor as well. Red Bull seemed to manage the race really well, didn't they? And, and pit stop wise as well. It wasn't just the strategy that cost Hamilton as well. It was a bit of a tardy race start. He said he went um, deep into the pit box in one of the pit stops, which explained that slightly longer pit stop as well. So it was all these things that added up. I think he came across um, Ricardo as well and lost, I think, about, well, they claimed about a second and a half because I know Ricardo was struggling with um, some debris in his front wing so he was a bit slower and obviously lapped car and stuff so there was all those little things that kind of came together to 
to take away that victory chance. But I think even with those, if in hindsight, if they just covered Verstappen and pit on the same lap as Norris for their first pit stop, I yeah get the feeling that they've had certainly a better chance, especially when you've got the track position. You don't tend to get the track position on the the Red Bull this year that many times when it really matters. So yeah, this was probably one of those occasions where I think having track position would have played more of a role. You know, certain other circuits races this year, we've seen that's been no real advantage because he's able to just breeze past. Perhaps that would have happened, but um, I tend to think it would have uh, been difficult, I think, for for Verstappen to come back past him. So yeah, um, a few things there for, for Mercedes to dwell on. But then, then again, it's one of those things where, you know, now how much does it really matter to them um, looking back at the race because of the disqualification? But yeah, st- still lessons to be learned for, for future occasions, I guess. Although, of course, entirely moot now because he was excluded anyway, so they have bigger things to worry about. Mark, let's talk a little bit about the Mercedes upgrade. Does Hamilton's exclusion in any way take the shine off what appeared to be a successful floor upgrade? This was a package James Allison described as a bellwether for 2024, so it's important it works. And we've had various questions about this, for example, from the Race Members Club. Liam Robertson said, is today's race enough to be optimistic? Mercedes has gone the right way with the car. So... Is the upgrade encouraging and is the ride height exclusion in any way suggesting that the, the car pace may have been flattered? It's possible it may have been flattered a little bit, but it, it's not. It, it, it's, it's so hard to be definitive about this because although you, you, you're told that one team is excluded and another one's not, you would need to know the, the exact difference in ride height between the two cars to work out what that represents in, in, in lap time. And what we do know is that the upgrades um, seem to bring more than the simulation suggested. Simulation suggests about a tenth. And Lewis found that the the better balance it gave him, the better high-speed uh, rear-end grip it gave him, allowed him to extract more from himself. And there was, you reckon, an, at least another tenth in that. So a, a pretty useful chunk of improvement. Um, but... I, so definitely going in the right direction. Um, its tyre deg was good, remained good. It was better than the McLaren's. Its pace, its race pace was actually better than the McLaren's, as it turned out. Um, but I think its pace was a little bit flattered by the Red Bulls having to um, adjust for the, the, the bumpiness of the circuit. Now, you might say, well, everybody's got to adjust for the bumpiness of the circuit. Yes, but a car which derives more from its underbody than another car will lose more from raising the ride height, and that's the Red Bull. The Red Bull derives a much bigger proportion of its total from the underbody, therefore it loses more when everybody has to raise the ride height. Um, so, it's it's the, the fact that was a contributory factor in the the disastrous Singapore weekend, and um, it was they were on the margins of um, of it in Spa, where if you remember, um, Verstappen and Perez were lifting before the compression of a rouge on every lap, and that was in order to um, not ground out the plank there. So, yes, it's um, it, it is it's a very useful upgrade. It's uh, it's it's encouraging for the team. It's going in the right direction. It has enthused Hamilton. He's by far the happiest he's been all season with the car. Um, but I say the actual competitive picture relative to the Red Bull here was a little bit flattering to Mercedes. 
Yeah, but encouraging overall in terms of direction. Hamilton, you know, he said it was the only about the first time in a while that he's really felt an upgrade making a difference. Although he did also say that it didn't actually change how the car feels. So I think it he more meant it just convinced yeah. him and he feels, yeah, this is going well. George Russell struggled a little bit more. Obviously, he ended up uh, fifth after the uh, after the exclusions. So that was all the points they got out of it. But yeah. Perfectly reasonable for uh, for Mercedes and Gary Anderson quite liked their upgrade as well. He thought well, it was in the right direction. So that's always positive. Right, Josh, let's talk McLaren. Lando Norris had control of the race until Verstappen passed him on lap 28. He still took second after Hamilton's exclusion, but had finished third on the road. Where did McLaren's Suzuka Qatar pace go, though? Well, it's quite the turnaround, isn't it, for McLaren to sort of talk of this as been a bit of a disappointing race when as you mentioned led so many laps and, and still finished third on the road and and second after the the checker flag but you know I think this is is more about track char- characteristics isn't it than than anything else I don't think they've suddenly lost any performance it's simply that you know the the high speed nature of the corners at you know Qatar and Suzuka suited the, the McLaren and the more kind of mix of corners here didn't suit it as much but I mean it was still extremely strong in places it was quite telling that after the race you know Norris said okay that's probably our strongest tracks now out of the way that the the next few are going to be a bit more tricky certainly Qatar obviously and the McLaren looked incredibly strong there um but but not quite as strong this weekend but but still you you put it probably as the third fastest car of the weekend it was clearly ahead of the Ferraris over a race distance although obviously signs did sort of catch Norris towards the end so yeah a bit of a it's still a, a solid result for the team especially on Norris's side of the garage but Piastri in particular obviously wasn't perhaps quite as confident in in, in the car especially in the sprint race um but yeah n- not the not as strong as Qatar and Suzuka but Still a solid weekend for McLaren. No reason to panic really on the on the performance side. I'm sure this battle will continue to swing back and forth as it has done, obviously, all season. And McLaren up to fourth in the constructors now. I can't see them relinquishing that given Aston Martin's struggles over the second half of the season. But yeah, I think quite well executed race by Norris and the team. Andrea Stella said after the race that basically their approach was they wanted to be fairly attacking with Norris, just crack on, see how it went. So they played the strategy kind of as it fell, but fairly conventionally. And they felt they probably had the third fastest car in the race. They could have done a bit better maybe if they'd had another set of mediums. Having, obviously, on the sprint weekend, you decide what tyres you're using up at different times or happens on all weekends, but they only had one set of the of the new mediums for the, for the race, so that made life a little bit more difficult, but he didn't think it would make any difference in terms of the overall result. And yeah, as for Piastri, he was uh, running six, wasn't he? Had that good start and eliminated in that contact with Ocon on the first lap. Any problems with that particular contact, Mark? Just one of those things? Just one of those first corner things, wasn't it? it just, yeah, yeah well, one guy ran a little bit wide, ran his... You know, run his wheel into the side of the other one, give a small, you know, little puncture in the radiator, which gradually lost pressure. And yeah, there you go, retirement. Yeah, I asked Piastri if he had any particular problem. Did he feel he'd overdone it and taken a risk or Ocon was too forceful or whatever? And he said, well, no, I, I was entitled to be there. Esteban didn't do anything wrong, just 
one of those things. Ocon was a little bit quieter about it, but uh, yeah, it was, it was frustrating. I think for uh, for both of them, it's ultimately down to radiator damage and water leak. I think that that put Piastri out of the race. But let's move on to Ferrari now, Mark. It had a mixed bag of a weekend. Charles Leclerc had that pole position, had a nightmare one stop at a sixth, and then got excluded. Carlos Sainz not completely at home with the car, but finished sixth in the sprint, and then he inherited that third place in the Grand Prix. How do you slice and dice their weekend? Yeah, the car was good over the bumps and was quick over a qualifying lap. Um, it had that nice sort of oversteery balance that Charles Leclerc so likes and which has sort of been reintroduced back into the car with its Suzuka floor upgrade and that's given Leclerc his qualifying speed back. Um, but rear tyre deg is the big thing here and you know, no, an oversteery setup is not going to help you with that. And it, its tyre deg uh, was apparent even in the sprint race, even, even over 19 laps. It was, you know, it was um, beaten by 17 seconds and 19 laps by Verstappen and well behind Hamilton too. So, um, yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a great race day car. It was the slowest of the the the, the four cars, even though it, um, of the top four cars, even though it started from pole. And yeah, the the strategy of Leclerc. I, I still, I, no, I, I can't quite get my head around uh i can get why they thought about one stopping um although the the, the advantages of doing so weren't quite as obvious as they were at mercedes for hamilton um but the 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 obstinate decision to <laughs> to stay with it um yeah i just don't get it at all and and frederick Vasseur wasn't really offering much in the way of um a logical answer when when he was asked about it yeah, he sort of said that the simulation said it was about 50-50 or kind of too close to call, which I think when you're watching the race, even without delving too much into the data, you don't see that one as a 50-50 at all. I cannot understand why they put Leclerc on a one-stop and kept him on that for, for the whole race. It doesn't make any sense to me. It felt like they were, I don't know, trying to reach higher for, for a result or kind of not just consolidate what should have been an easy fourth and fifth on the road really they should have been focusing on just finishing ahead of of Perez and, and Russell but in the end the clerk lost the place to, to Perez and obviously was very very close to to losing it to Russell not that it mattered in the end but yet again just a, another frustrating example of um, a strategy error that's just extremely hard to understand and is not in any way explained or kind of justified or or the the gravity of it taken on after the race you, you see it from different teams who kind of admit their faults or say okay with the hindsight we obviously saw it needs to be this way you just never really get that with Ferrari sometimes it, it's yeah it, it, it's a shame really because and sometimes there's there's great executed races I mean Sainz's race was I thought really well executed from from both driver and team so yeah it, it was a shame to see that not on both sides of the garage. Science's sprint race was particularly good, I thought. He was the only one on softs, and he managed to hang on to that. It kind of ended up being neutral because he started six, gained two places to the extra grip at the start, and then the shuffle back to places. But it looked like that race was going to really unravel, but he was quite carefully managing the tyres all the way through. Quite a clever drive from Science. It was a funny weekend for him. I think it was quite a classy weekend, but he just wasn't as quick as Leclerc. And he did actually uh, uh, admit it, actually. I, I asked him on Saturday, well, why is there this pace difference? And he said, well, it's car characteristics. The car's jumping around a lot, particularly in the high speed and he just said, normally Charles just copes a bit better than I do. 
in that scenario. He's not so confident when he's worried the car's going to snap on him on the on the high speed. I thought it was just worth noting that because it's good when a driver is quite happy to say, yeah, Charlie's just a bit better at that than me. And he would have liked to have worked with the car a little bit longer through practice in order to dial it out. That's Carlos Sainz's approach. So it's a, it's a good example of how someone like Sainz can have a weekend where he's not super quick. But you look at it and you're like, actually, you've done it pretty good job and uh yeah we inherited that uh podium as well let's get on to alpine now josh because they had a quietly solid weekend perhaps one of the better ones of the season pierre gasly ended up sixth after the two exclusions ocon as we mentioned retired from sixth early on after the contact with piastri so what's going well there do you think well they're sort of doing what you'd expect them to do or an expect a team with a car like that to do on a lot more occasions um, this year than they have done. It's, it's an example of what would happen if you took away a lot of the usual kind of things that get in the way of, of Alpine succeeding this year. And uh, and it shows what they'd actually be capable of if you, if you remove some of those inconsistencies and, and odd things that go on. Um, Gasly, how I thought, drove really well all weekend. He seemed to get into a good space in in first practice, and that's not always been the case for Alpine on a on a sprint weekend. So on his side of the garage, it was a a really good weekend. Ocon obviously was was unlucky on that first lap. It's hard to know how his race would have played out, but certainly you know Gasly drove a, a really solid race and 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 a well earned sixth place finish. Did a really good job in qualifying too. So yeah, a really well executed um, weekend on the whole for for Gasly. Yeah, and that team's done quite a bit of work in the past few months to try and sharpen up a few little changes in in the race team since the big upheaval uh, just before the uh, the August break. And Pierre Gazzi was talking on Thursday about some little changes in process they've been trying to do. I think they've been trying to get a little bit better with their starting setups and the way they approach weekends. And even though this wasn't their best result of the weekend, I just like the fact that they had a few problems in FP1 but worked through it. And then just in qualifying in the race in both the sprint and the the main one, they were just sort of where they should be, which I thought was quite good. It wasn't stunning. The car is fairly middling, but they were just middling across the board on a track that's quite a good all-round test. So sort of gently uh, encouraging. And I did think it was one of Gasly's, probably his, one of his best weekends of the year in terms of all-round execution. He actually felt it was the best weekend so far, talking about him and the team, not, um, not specifically himself. So... Uh, a quiet positive for Alpine and quite nicely picked up a sixth place in the end after the exclusions are slightly better than an eighth place should we move on to Aston Martin now Mark because their weekend was mostly dreadful Lance Stroll did ultimately though manage to end his points drought with what was ultimately seventh place Fernando Alonso didn't make the finish because of a floor problem of some sort it's problem stretched back to P1 can you explain the troubles and what you made of the Aston upgrade package given <laughs> the various shenanigans during the weekend yeah, there was a lot to uh, muddy the waters, wasn't there, about the uh, the effectiveness or otherwise of this um, the, the new floor that they brought. Um, it all began in, in FP1, um, where the plan originally was to run one car on the old spec and one car on the new, just do a back-to-back and do an aero sweep um, of the, the two cars. So when you run them on the same day in the same conditions same atmospheric conditions you know that you, what you're looking at is directly comparable so just you know just doing a, a complete um, sense check on what the simulation has told you to so that you don't head off in the wrong direction um, but that went by the board because they'd um, there'd been a 
uh, an error in calculating how much uh, blanking was um, needed for the brakes. So they both over- overheated the brakes um, within you know very few laps and strolled so much that it damaged the internals of the brakes. So he couldn't run at all in that session. That was the only practice session within a sprint format. So they never got to do that comparison. Um, in the in the sprint, they had. Um, Stroll had a problem with um, it was brake related, but it wasn't to do with the blanking problem. That was that was all fixed by now. Um, it was just to do with the, the the different characteristics that the upgraded brought to the braking profile and what you need to do with the brakes, where you have the um, the brake by wire set up and um, where you apply the pressure and and how you bleed it off. You just he was struggling to get to grips with that, and then locked up his tires. So yeah, he, he was, it wasn't uh, it wasn't great. Um, it, it they started from the pit lane so they could do the um, they do that comparison. Uh, so they had uh, Alonso on the old spec car and Stroll on the new spec, and uh, so they will at least have got that data that comparison. Even though you know Alonso ran for quite a few laps before he was retired. Um, but yeah, he, he, I think the the flaw damage that he re, the, was his ultimate reason for his retirement was probably done by you know hitting the curbs. Probably probably th- those turn nine curbs are pretty vicious if if, if you're running over them a lot. Um, it's probably done there, I would imagine. Um, actually, when you look at the fastest lap list, I know that's not a very scientific um, or, or very um, you know high fidelity look at of, uh, uh, of how competitive a car is but they they did they both did quite respectable lap times um so you know i think um it wasn't a great weekend um and it's still far far away from where they were at the beginning of the season but uh, yeah they, this it ended on the on a um, optimistic note anyway a decent weekend for for stroll as well i thought on a on the driving front i mean you know, considering he had such limited running in practice, he was, you know, fairly close to, to Alonso throughout the weekend, especially compared to some of the gaps we've seen seen this year. Obviously, there's a bit of a spec difference there, which which clouds it a bit. But, you know, I thought generally he was was fairly close. He pulled some really good overtakes in both the, the sprint and the Grand Prix as well. Quite effective, really, in, in cutting through the field when, when he needed to. We haven't always seen that from him, so... I thought it was a decently solid weekend for for Stroll, especially given he's had some you know really bad ones recently. I thought this was a bit of a step in the right direction for him, even though it was a, a pretty poor weekend for the team in terms of the performance. I thought his own performance and the way he was able to to do well with limited running was was encouraging, perhaps for for a bit of a, a turnaround for him. But we'll obviously have to see if that continues in Mexico or not. Yeah, a decent effort. And his first points finished since Spa, which was before the August break. So he's had a pretty tough run. So don't begrudge him picking up a couple of extra places as well to finish seventh. Josh, let's talk about Yuki Sonoda now, who, if you use the the Mark Hughes look at the fastest laps of the race for each car, is stunningly quick because he did get (laughs) fastest lap. Ended up with five points for taking eighth place plus that fastest lap point. Significant, very significant in that battle for 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th in the championship. So how did he come to take fastest lap and what did you make of AlphaTauri's performance? 
well, the team doubled their points tally for the year in, in one day, which is very good news for them. A really, really good drive um, from Sonoda. I mean, the fact that he was able to have a gap to pit into and then get the fastest lap point, you know, showed you what a great job he'd done to, to, to pull that gap. It's hard because we don't have a Ricardo comparison. Again, it seems like a bit of a running theme where we're just not getting a clear comparison between these two drivers or two drivers at AlphaTauri because it always seems like one of them has some problem in the race which compromises them or means they don't start or means they don't get a, a proper clear run. Um, but he did, a, he did a really good job. I mean, a, again, really good race craft, really good time management. Um, he didn't end up in 11th, so that was good. And, and again, like we said before, when those disqualification disqualifications came in all it did on Sonoda's point was just reward uh, a good drive even greater so yeah richly deserved and and so important for the team um because obviously right now they're the last in the championship obviously not where they want to be so it's important for their battle with with Haas uh, especially with Haas not not scoring this weekend um it's a uh, it's a big payday for AlphaTauri. Like I say, doubling your points tally in, in one day is very good. And it's a sign of the the cars obviously got better in, in the last few rounds as well. I think evidence that those upgrades as well are working well. And, and generally, again, it was a bit hard to read exactly where it was this weekend. But what mattered was that it was uh, in a good place come Sunday and, and Sonoda made the most of it. So, uh, yeah, five very well-earned points. I don't know, just pleased not to be 11th because there are a few uh, a few 11th places being thrown around for that team uh, <laughs> this year and you don't, don't get much for that. But yeah, a good solid uh, weekend for them. And I think it's good that they've picked up those points because that car, frankly, is better than the five points it had prior to, to this weekend, certainly with the progress it's made in recent times. So good for them that they've given themselves a little bit of a boost in that uh, battle for 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th. But of course, Mark, also Williams did pick up points as well uh, three points with Alex Alban and Logan Sargent, ninth and tenth. They moved up two when the exclusions happened. Great news for its bid for seventh in the championship. But how significant do you think Sargent at last getting on the scoreboard will be? Well, it's good that he's finally he's, he's got that monkey off his back, um, and it's it's you know it, it gets rid of a a, a a list of negatives that you, you would have to defend otherwise. Um, but there's still an awful lot of work to do for him to uh, make a convincing case for himself to be an automatic selection for the team for next year. He's, there's still a significant pace gap to Albon. Um, and that's a pretty high bar, I know. But, uh, you know, if you're um, someone that uh, is wanting to be considered as, as a long-term F1 driver, even even as a rookie uh, with a very fast teammate, you should be able to do it now and again. You should be able to run at his pace, you know, at, at your best. Um, and yeah, he's he's made a little bit of progress, but it's still patchy. It's still in fits and starts. And um, yeah, he still hasn't really put a convincing weekend together. You know, he's did perfectly okay this time, but it's it, it's a result that it's flattered by the disqualifications. Well, once again, we had one of those qualifying sessions where he basically doesn't get a representative lap in. I mean, I think he got, you know, one lap in at the end, which was quite far off, but I think just wanted to get a time on the board. Um, and that's something we rarely see from a driver, but unfortunately we've seen it from him, you know, a few times this year and especially so far into the rookie year. But then I was really impressed with what he did on Sunday. I think he was much closer to Albon. You know, the disqualifications helped and that's the only reason he scored points. But he was he was 
pretty close to Tarbon for most of the race and it's one of the more convincing performances and it still would have been had it counted for 12th place rather than the 10th place so uh yeah a, a solid job he just needs to show a bit more than this and and just put it all together because we keep seeing he can either get qualifying right or the race right if he can just hopefully string a complete weekend together then he'll be fine but obviously that's far from the first time any of us have said that or he said that or William said that so yeah down team obviously to to prove that in the next uh, few races there's a certain irony as well the point came on a weekend where although the race today was good sat Friday and Saturday there wasn't actually a great deal of spark there we have seen weekends where he's had moments where he thought oh, that's some good pace though I don't think he showed stunning pace ultimately this weekend he was struggling a bit with the car so it's just funny sometimes how those things can happen and hopefully it'll give him a little bit of a boost going into the final four races as he fights for his F1 future we'll get back to the pod in a moment but first a word about our partner Grammarly no matter what kind of work you do how you communicate is key All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. As tradition demands, we're going to tackle listener questions in the final part of our post-race podcast. We're getting so many questions from the Race Members Club now, which I really appreciate, but it does make it tricky to get to every single one of them, I'm afraid. There were some questions about the sprint race format that we'll try and come back to, perhaps in our next episode, as they are interesting, but we're focusing mainly on the Grand Prix in this episode. So thanks to everyone for your questions. If you'd like to know how to sign up, click on Join the Race on our website. It's only £24.99p. And we not only let you ask questions on this podcast after the races, but you can exclusively comment on our articles on the race websites and bonus material, including some special podcasts for members as well. So first up question for you, Mark, from Gareth Jenkins, who says, when you have an issue such as the one Lance Stroll had this weekend with brakes, is that just the team and car getting it wrong or is it related to driver inputs? I ask as Alonso doesn't seem to be having the same issues and I would presume they are driving the same spec cars. So maybe elaborate a little bit on his uh, his braking issues, particularly uh, after P1. Yeah, so he, uh, as discussed before, the the the, the way that you um, use the brakes is um, is matched up to the, the the traits of the car, the the aero load, um, you know, the the distribution between front and rear, the the way that the um, the aero load, uh, the center of pressure moves as the car dives under braking and levels out as the braking force reduces. All those things have to be matched to a, a braking profile um, so that you, you, the, the, that, that is matching what, what, the, what the aerodynamics of the car are doing. Um, and if you change the aero, you change the braking profile and you, you, that you know can take a little bit of adapting to. 
Um, and uh, yeah, he did struggle with that. But in fairness, he hadn't been in the car in the first session because the the overheating brakes previous to that, which was unrelated to his, you know, um, the, the as discussed before, the overheating was um, a team error. So. Like most things, when something goes wrong, it, it's often a combination of um, you know team and, and driver. But I think in this case, you you can sort of say that uh, Lance didn't really get a, a fair crack at the whip, and uh, you know he, he was he made progress and through it, and didn't seem to be troubled by it in the race. So yeah, I don't I don't think we need to be too harsh on them and. Um, yeah, the, the, the funnily enough, for, for the first time, they were they weren't in the same spec car. Alonso was in the standard spec car, and um, Lance was in the new one. Josh, a question for you now from Lucky Cowan. He says, "What happened to Piastri in the sprint? It seemed he was right up there with Norris in both qualies, besides the mistake in Q three. But then he was nowhere." Well, Piastri thought it was because of. Uh the battle thing that it was having to do and just kind of the, the tires got out of the window and it's a bit of a slippery slope sometimes. And he just seemed to get kind of, you know, bullied down the order a little bit. Um, there wasn't any, I'd say massive, you know, lapse in like racecraft or anything like that. It just seemed that once one car got past and obviously a couple more were able to get past and suddenly you're out of the points. And, and that's kind of where he was stuck then as the race pretty much settled into a bit of a procession. Obviously, on Sunday, we didn't get to see anything from him beyond the first lap, really. Kind of Once that damage had taken hold and he retired. So we've really got no idea if it was a, any kind of race pace problem or anything like that. But I think generally it was just the fact he got knocked down the order and then there was so little chance to, to recover from there, really. Next up, a question I'll take from Tom Bannister, who says, surely the time has come to revamp the five-second penalty. Would it not make sense to have it as a place penalty? So, for example, you have one lap to give the place back, and if it's deemed an illegal move, then it's a place penalty. It seems like a fairer alternative and penalises everyone equally. Well, yeah, there are big problems with this. Quite a few drivers are irritated about it. George Russell passing Oscar Piastri off the track at turn 15 on Saturday really kicked that off, and Russell had pushed back in the driver's briefing about this in Spain and say, well, you can take advantage of it this way and hadn't really got anywhere. And uh, I, did, I did ask Russell after the race today and say, well, you were pushing that in the driver's meetings in Spain. Nothing happened. And then you took advantage of it in Spain. You took advantage of it at Monza. You took advantage of it in the sprint. So clearly you're sort of being forced into doing that. Russell didn't quite go as far as saying, yes, I absolutely was doing that. But it was fairly clear he feels forced into doing that because of the stupidity because the five second penalty is a penalty you can spend you gain track position you think actually i'll give away that those five seconds later because i'll gain more from being past that car now so yeah something like you have to give the place back you've got to move back into the position you were in and make a pass legally because that will sort things out it'll disincentivize you taking liberties and it will be a little bit more self-correcting. But track limits is an absolute mess in motorsport at the moment, in Formula 1, in a lot of categories. What you were watching the Porsches today, weren't we, Mark? And it was just mm. ridiculous. They were just reprofiling the circuit. But uh, stuff needs to be done to make this work. And I think it's going to need something more than just fiddling around with the penalties, actually, to get it to work. Because it's deeply frustrating. The drivers are annoyed. And I think, yeah, having the flat automatic penalty, it's great on paper when you want consistency, but it just doesn't work like that because racing's situational and sometimes you can gain big 
from taking a deliberate penalty rather than losing the time and doing the tyre damage battling with somebody. Mark, a question from Jayana who says, with regards to track limits, wouldn't Cota be the ideal track to trial a race without track limits? IndyCar didn't seem to have any. Would that also be suitable for F1 cars with their aero flaws? And how much faster would their track times be? Would it improve overtaking? That Porsche race was a great case study. <laughs> yes, it would actually. Um, I, I, it, it, it probably would uh, increase overtaking. Um, don't know how much faster it'd be. A, li- a little bit, probably, maybe a second or something. If you, you yeah, the, the turns. Well, you don't really gain a lap time advantage at turn one, but yeah, turn nineteen is probably a lot of lap time to be found. That that one. Um, turn 11 which you can carry down the back straight if you can run up on, on a, past the turn 11 exit you'd, you'd carry all that speed down the straight so yeah yeah we probably probably would do um, yeah that's all just uh, we, we've talked about it so many times the sport's got itself in, trapped into a corner with um, painting white lines to define track limits it is you know, it doesn't work. It's got to be abandoned. Got to find some other way. Gravel, grass, whatever. But, um, but yeah, this this is not the answer. Yeah, and I don't think that not enforcing track limits at all makes any sense because no. that poses serious safety problems. It's deeply stupid. And I remember the IndyCar race here a few years ago when at turn nineteen they were able to use the runoff, and it was just it was just stupid, and it 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 just makes a mockery of racing to do it. But there has to be a proper solution. This white line stuff just isn't working, and you know they made the white line thicker overnight into Saturday. It's, it's just a complete mess. So uh, yeah, we'd need a whole series of podcasts to really try and come up with an idea of that. But the short answer, natural track limits are the way to do it. So there has to be some way to work out how to do that. Josh, a question now from Andy who says, what are the thoughts on the Haas upgrade in the run-up to the Grand Prix? It seemed like there were a lot of hopes put behind this newer package. It seems like the same old, but was this because of the sprint weekend format and next time out they will be expecting more? There was a change, at least on Sunday. That's what Hulkenberg thought. He was kind of happy to be moving forward and passing cars as the stint went on rather than the reverse, which has happened at most Grand Prix this year. Uh, So it's too early to say it's a complete write-off or it's not fixed the problems. On the other hand, it's clearly not some kind of McLaren step forward or any kind of silver bullet or kind of all problems solved um you can probably end up leaning on the side of disappointment really when looking at the the weekend as a whole especially with how well Sonoda and Alpha Tauri did on Sunday you look how far back Haas was from that I mean not a million miles away but then again that's a bit uh altered by Sonoda pitting for the fastest lap too um so, yeah, I think they're generally going to be disappointed no matter what the kind of public messages coming out from the camp. I mean, generally the drivers were not exactly ecstatic, especially on Saturday. They they seemed fairly disheartened, even in such a, even in a sprint race, they could see that the, the problems were still there. It sounds like the, you know, changes they made that meant this out from the pit lane, that seemed to make a difference. It seemed better on Sunday and I'm sure they'll refine it more over the next few tracks, but it's clearly not going to be something that transforms their prospects and and suddenly elevates them. They never really promised that, but perhaps they were expecting a little bit more. I think people got a bit, uh, you know, uh, a bit too excited on Friday, 
uh, in practice when they saw both drivers running really really strongly that was more a, a nature of the fuel loads and kind of track time um and and just been on when they were on track and stuff and and clearly come qualifying and, and come the race that pace was was just not there but uh yeah it's small signs of hope but clearly uh a lot of work still to be done i think even when this package is is fully optimized it's it's clearly not going to be the answer to all their problems clearly stuff will need to come further down the line and 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 at this point in the season obviously that's going to be next year various obviously extra things they can do for next year which they can't do in season as well so uh yeah that that'll be the true test but right now evidently no transformation whichever way you slice it next question i'll take from alvaro diguez apologies if i've mispronounced your name which i almost certainly have in previous years when someone like aston martin was far back on the starting grid they usually change the engine to have a new one for the next race alonso was asked about it and answered that it was because of the cost cap does this make sense is it worth it yeah well certainly you have to be a bit more careful with that now i'm just trying to remember exactly what the the regs and the cost cap say about that there's a certain amount you can spend on the engines and if you go beyond that uh, it becomes a, a problem. So yeah, you can't throw them around willy-nilly. So it will be dictated by necessity. And I think we can assume from that that Aston Martin are in pretty good shape with their power unit component supplies. Uh, Mark, a question from Matthew Hyatt. What were Ferrari thinking when they dithered with Charles Leclerc's strategy today? They never ever had the tire durability to make a one-stop work. That was obvious from the sprint. Why as a fan is it seemingly so clear, but to the strategists, it isn't? Now, you've already said you've been baffled by this, but the sprint is another factor. They had a whole test race. Have you in the past 20 minutes come to terms with it? But it, it's a fair point, isn't it? How is it How is it so clear to somebody watching at home, but yep. not them? I don't know, Matthew. I, I really don't. It, it's, um, you know, you, you go and find out afterwards, you, you listen to what the, the people at the team say, and there's nothing that tallies. It, it, it's, it's just almost like they'd... Deni- got themselves into a state of denial once they'd made the wrong call, and because you know it was still easy, easy enough to back out of within a, a lap or two, um, you know, as, as Mercedes did with Hamilton. That's, that's what that's what they were originally going to do, and uh, they, they they got it wrong and backed out of it, and it lost a, a couple of laps, which was very expensive time-wise, but it didn't ruin the, ruin his race. Um, with Leclerc, it absolutely did because they just almost denied that um, it, it was wrong and just watched them f- sink like a stone further and further down it must come down to those you know pre-race simulations it seemed like that's what they were really hanging on to like you said there just seemed to be this refusal to to, to change their opinion on that but you've got to look up haven't you from those and, and see what's happening in the race and they didn't yeah, seem but to they do are that. just simulations and it, it's not unusual for reality to vary uh, you know a lot from a simulation so even though you you use those simulations as a guide it, 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 i don't think anybody th- thinks that they have to be wedded to them i mean it, it, it's just it was all just like a stubborn refusal to accept that they got it wrong i, I don't i really don't understand it yeah, and the Vissera explanation was odd because he kept saying we got it wrong. It was almost we got it wrong because we got it wrong. It wasn't a decent rationale. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, I, I didn't really get what was going on there either. So, sorry, we can't give an, a clear explanation for that because I don't think there is one. Josh, a question from Alex Lacey. Is it fair to say that Lewis Hamilton has lost nothing in the last two seasons and given a competitive 2024 car, will still get the maximum out of it and could fight for a championship? Races like today prove that he's still fully capable of of challenging for a world championship in the right car whether he's lost nothing it's uh 
I think with the case with experienced drivers, it's more the case that they're always still gaining things. Perhaps they're losing things, but they're picking up different things. It's the case with every driver. There's kind of that ebb and flow of of different things, and it's more kind of just how they're evolving as a driver. And even somebody like Hamilton is is still evolving. But uh, yeah, absolutely capable of of challenging for a championship in the right car. Yeah, I think he's had a really strong season. A question now from Jack Aitken. No, not the Williams driver. Ah, Jack Aitken, as I like to call him from Australia, if memory serves. Aston Martin's pace looks to be in freefall. Are they better off now focusing on the 2024 car, or do they need first to focus on understanding their current issues? Well, I think, yeah, they need to understand what the limitation they're pushing up against is. They had a series of upgrades that... They're adding performance to the car, but they don't seem to have decent control over all these factors, the aero sense of pressure, the yaw sensitivity, all these things. Very complicated, these cars. You add the floor in as an extra, uh, the ground rather, as an extra plane that's influencing the aerodynamics and things get very, very complicated. And I think there's some fundamental things they're not quite getting right. And ultimately, the 23 car is the experimental bed that will influence the 24 car. So I don't think you can write off 23 and focus on 24 I think they're tied directly to each other and next year's car is an evolution of this year's one they're not talking about making fundamental architectural changes or anything so yeah there's some error understanding I think they need to get on top of Mark Sebastiano Russo asks why do you think that the first drivers were so much stronger than their teammates this weekend on this track Max always smashes Checo no news here but Hamilton on Russell Leclerc on Sainz Strategy aside, Norris on Piastri, they all seem to have a clear edge. And Matt Grocoot also asked a similar question about whether Kota shows which drivers are of a real quality. Yeah, I think that various um, differing answers for each of those um, that you mentioned, as you, as you say, the, the Max and Checo ones, not, not circuit related. Um, Hamilton is very, very well attuned to this track and George Russell, by his own admission, never goes very well here. So there is some truth in the fact that, you know, some some drivers are, are just better at some circuits and then less good at others. Um, but I don't, I don't think it says anything about the intrinsic comparison between those two in particular. It's just a, 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 one of those little anomalies. Uh, Leclerc on science, I think that's more to do with um, how the the Ferrari has been developed. It, it, it went through a phase where they had to put a, a sort of false understeer into the car because of its, um, its sort of stally rear end and high-speed corners. You, you lost so much time if you got it um, in the least bit out of line that they had to sort of engineer in a sort of false understeer, and that, that suited Carlos signs very well. We saw him set two consecutive poles with a car like that and win in Singapore. Um, they introduced the new floor um, in uh, Suzuka, which uh, tamed that rear end uh, very well. And so they no longer needed to have this sort of false understeer in the car so that Leclerc's back in the ascendant there. So again, I, I think that's unrelated to this this circuit. I think um, if the car had been as it was in Mondrian, Singapore, you would have seen signs quicker than Leclerc. It's just how it is. It's more a car thing than a, the track thing. Norris and Biastri, I think um, Oscar just, you know, it, he didn't really get up to sp- his full speed. Um, it's sprint weekend format didn't really help him in that, uh, you know, the um, tricky tyre situation he's not on top of the high deck tire races yet and this is a high deck track so yeah again i don't think it's it's anything intrinsic about the the, the natural speed between them so yeah that's 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 how i would see it 
Josh, a question for you from Danny Elliott. Any thoughts on Daniel Ricciardo's weekend? A late stop in the race for soft tyres left him last, while Sonoda scored points and took fastest lap. Was there too much emphasis put on Ricciardo's Red Bull test earlier this year? Do you think Sonoda or Lawson would have made a similar or better impression given the same opportunity? I'm starting to lose hope in Ricciardo's second wind. Well, as I um, alluded to earlier, obviously there's some debris in the front wing of, of Ricardo's car this race which may well give you some hope that you haven't got ahead of yourself there um once again like I said we've got this really inconclusive comparison again on on a Sunday P- prior to that Ricardo was was fairly solid um compared to Sonoda it's clear that you know he's got the the ability to come in and, and out qualify Sonoda or, or put in a solid race performance but um, he admitted himself on Saturday that he still had a bit of race rustiness, still a bit kind of tentative in, um, you know, wheel-to-wheel combat. He was into turn one on the first lap of the sprint race. He got mugged around the outside and, and a bit later on, but that was only really compared to his very high standards that we know he can do in terms of his race craft. I don't think there was any, any major issue there. And in terms of his pace, it's again, you, you just can't really make a definitive conclusion. We we need to see more weekends because we haven't seen a, you know, certainly this weekend, we've not seen a, a proper comparison between the two. So yeah, if you didn't realize he had damage or it turns out that damage didn't have any effect, then this race was was really bad, really, compared to to, to to Sonoda. Yes, he was going for a kind of a one-stop initially, so that's why there was a bit of discrepancy there. But even then, by the time Sonoda had made his second stop, I think he'd already come out ahead of Ricardo. Um, so there was really no contest between them. But then, if that debris does explain things, then, um, yeah, it, it's you can sort of write off that Sunday. Um, and, and once again, we just have to say wait and see for a comparison. Um, but but nothing alarming really in the weekend before that, which says that Red Bull's misread the test or, or misread their faith in him. They've seen potential. He's proving he's at least worthy of a chance. Um, and and that's what he's doing at the moment. So uh, yeah, let's just hope and pray for a, a clean weekend for both Sonoda and Ricardo, so we can get a proper comparison um, over the next few races. Next up, a question I'll take from Oscar Robledo, who says, when will Charles Leclerc learn from his teammate and control his own destiny when it comes to strategy? Do Ferrari need a new strategy team? They seem to make calls that few, if any other teams, are willing to make, with Charles being the only only driver running the race with a single stop. Well, in terms of Leclerc learning from science and controlling his own destiny, I just don't think Leclerc quite has that aptitude. That's not to be too critical. It's very difficult for a driver to have a good grasp of that. Science is an exception, and he's very, very good at that. Jensen Button used to be very good at that as well. Fernando Alonso is good, but it's quite rare, and you do have to rely on your team to do it, because even if you've got good command of what's going on in the car, there will be factors that are outside of your uh, field of vision. So Leclerc can try to, but he shouldn't force himself if if he's not naturally doing it, if he, he can't do it. If he can sharpen up on it, great, but... Yeah, it was pretty difficult, especially with um, (laughs) how emphatic Ferrari was on this. Do they need a new strategy team? I don't think it's down to the individuals and the basic processes because the strategy management is all about the simulations, the number crunching. You can always sharpen that up. But ultimately, as Mark alluded to earlier, strategy is a living, breathing, evolving thing. It's constantly changing. F1 cars are very sensitive. Race situations are so dynamic and malleable. I think it's more a management mentality. It has to be that I think you need to mesh with the the kind of hard science that's being done by the strategy team. I don't believe, 
and I know the people in the Ferrari strategy team, you know, they didn't win a competition to do it. They're very good, very capable people who know what they're doing. But it's connecting that to the, the kind of live judgment calls, I think, that needs to happen. And just sometimes looking at what's happening and saying, no, this isn't working. Next question for you, Mark, from Richard Craig, who says, with GPS and the car's position so easily trapped by the teams, how could Max Verstappen's engineer accidentally talk to Max in the braking zone on more than one occasion? Is there a lag on the GPS? <laughs> there was a small lag on the GPS here, actually, but I don't think that was uh, significant enough. Um, I think normally it wouldn't really be a problem. It was the fact that Max was struggling with the brakes um, and so was having to be very, very careful because he couldn't, the basic problem that he had with the, the brake pedal meant that he couldn't really feel which end of the car was on the point of locking when you're braking hard, you know, it's one end or the other and he couldn't, he couldn't tell. And so he was having to be very conservative on the braking and that was um, eventually leading to the front tyres sort of losing a bit of temperature as well making them more prone to locking. So you can imagine the stress of that. It was when you're already stressed, when somebody talks to you, you get ir- irritated. And I don't think normally that would have been a problem for the, 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 the timing of, of when GP was, was giving him information. But I, I loved I loved GP's um, re- reaction, his calm reaction to the, <laughs> the expletive re- re- written re- response from, from, from Max. You know, it was just... Uh, Yes, noted. Okay. Uh, what do you think about front wing angle? This is just <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, they quite they quite enjoy it as well, playing up a little bit as well. Yeah. Max Verstappen was saying in the press conference, well, I said it politely, didn't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, there, there's a great relationship there and it works really well. Josh, the final question for you from Thomas Knight. Is George Russell's pace deficit becoming a worry or was this a sprint weekend exaggerating the difference between the two? The track exaggerated it, I think, more more than anything, I guess, coupled with the, the sprint format too. As Mark's already outlined, you know, I think this is one of Hamilton's strongest tracks and it's it's one of Russell's least favourites. So there's nothing worrying really about this one weekend in particular. You know, overall, does Russell need to be worried? I think he's going to have a, a very important winter ahead of next year. Clearly, this year has not gone overall in the way that he'd have hoped. I think his his first year last year was was really solid and on track, and maybe there's been a few more dips this year. Um, but you always have to remember who's who he's uh, up against as well. So, yeah, he, he doesn't need to be worried, but he will have a, a very busy winter to to make sure he goes into next year and and is able to to take the fight to, to Hamilton, who we've already said is is performing as as well as ever. So, uh, yeah, he's gonna have to find another level but he's shown plenty of uh, potential so far that he, that he can find that yeah a bogey track George Russell describes Cota as for him and he was a little bit frustrated he said that last year he felt they pretty much took every opportunity whereas this year it's a bit more 50-50 so he's a little bit frustrated with things not entirely coming together but Lewis Hamilton's a very very high benchmark to be measured against Russell's doing a good job but Hamilton's having a very strong season as we discussed earlier well thanks very much for your insight Mark and Josh great standing job for Scott Mitchell Malm there from you Josh but he's back on active service as of Monday so that's good news for his fans head to the race 
Com. Don't forget the hyphen if you're going there. Loads to read there on the fallout from the United States Grand Prix weekend and looking ahead to Mexico. Check out our other podcasts, including the Race F1 Tech Show with Gary Anderson. Also, our Bring Back V10s retro podcast and our Formula E, IndyCar and MotoGP pods. And check out our YouTube channel as well. Loads of videos there to watch both shorts and long form. That's part one of the triple header done. So stay with us for everything you need to know about the Mexican Grand Prix. The Athletic.